0: polls that have gone out that ask when the right time to start listening to christmas music is and i hope uh... no one brought their stones here this morning if they're if they're violently opposed to this but i've been listening to christmas music for a few weeks now i i just can't wait to start listening to christmas music and uh... as the famous singer andy williams sang, old-school classic christmas is the most wonderful time of the year and uh... I don't know if for everyone that is their experience. Christmas is indeed a wonderful time of the year, but for some it's actually a time of pain. For some it's a time of sorrow. For some it's a time of loss. And as I was really praying and thinking and considering uh, what I would study, what we would go through as a church this morning, I really wanted to address that reality. And I came across a series by uh, Craig Graschel, and I've, I've kind of used that series as a framework uh, for this series uh, called God With Us. And uh, the reason that God With Us is so important is because it's one of the most beautiful promises in the entire Bible. It's one of the most beautiful things that no matter what we are going through, God is with us. You know, our circumstances may be difficult. They may be painful. But we have the promise to rest in that God is is with us and so Xmas or Christmas rather is a uh, wonderful time of the year you know when you write shorthand that happens sometimes but uh, but for some it's a time of great great sorrow great stress sometimes uh, it it comes with a burden of feeling like even with limited finances we need to buy a lot of gifts we have to to spend a lot of uh, money And uh, we realize at this time of the year, some of the people that maybe we won't get to celebrate Christmas with, maybe for the first time, we're missing that family member. And so sometimes when we go through great pain, we can actually question God. We can question His goodness, and we can question whether He's actually with us. But we have the incredible promise to rely on. God is with us. And Matthew, as I read in one twenty-three, says, The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. So when times are good, when we're going through the best parts of life, we celebrate. We have joy, we have a smile on our face, and we just enjoy God's goodness. And we think, of course, I'm blessed, God is blessing me. And uh, yet, when times are hard, we start to question, well, is God really good? Is God really care about me? But what we actually see in the Bible, what we actually see is the history of God's people, is that it's in some of the hardest times in the valleys is when intimacy with God actually grows greater, when our relationship with him is deepened, when our character is actually created. And so we enjoy God on the mountaintops. We do. We enjoy God on the mountaintops. But we get to know him In the valleys. And so that's our theme of our message this morning. We enjoy God on the mountaintops, but we get to know Him in the valleys. So for Christians, it's so easy to believe that God is good on the mountaintops. We get a raise. Woohoo! Our team wins the uh, Super Bowl or the Grey Cup. Woohoo! I don't actually know what happened there, so I'm sorry. I'm not huge. Stampeders, okay. Aren't there two stampeders? Anyways. Our kids sleep through the night. That's an amazing blessing of victory. Or we're at the mall and it's busy, crazy season and we get that parking spot we were praying for. Woohoo! God, thank you. And yet, when we're going through those dark days, those hardships, when we're alone, when we're scared, when we're hurting, when we get bad news, when we experience depression, when we experience anxiety, those valley places, then we wonder, where is God now? The valley places, they're places of battle. They're places of wrestling in our soul. They're places of deep loneliness and even of desperation. But they're the places where we grow, where our faith gets built, where we experience God so richly and so deeply in a different way than we ever could on top of the mountain. So we may enjoy God on the mountaintops, but we get to know him in the valleys. So our main passage this morning comes out of the Psalms. It's Psalm 84, five to seven. And this Psalm was one of the uh, songs that would be sung for the people when they were uh, making a pilgrimage to the city of Zion, to Jerusalem, to the holy city. And for the people of Israel, several times a year, they would make their way there. They would leave their jobs, their occupations, their home, they would bundle up their family and they would go for certain festivals. And this is one of the songs that they would sing along the way. And the reason that they would do this is because it would help prepare their hearts to be close to God. The temple was the physical place where they could experience intimacy with God. In the Holy of Holies, God's Holy Spirit was there. And so they greatly looked forward to that. It's not that God was limited there because God has always, always been everywhere. But it's, that was a special place and a special way of worshiping Him. So in Psalm 84, 5 to 7 out of the NIV, uh, if you want to flip there or turn there in your uh, your hard copy Bible, I'll be referencing it throughout here. It starts in verse 5. Blessed are those whose strength is in you, whose hearts are set on pilgrimage. As they pass through the valley of Baca, they make it a place of springs. The autumn rains also cover it with pools. They go from strength to strength. Till each appears before God in Zion. Years ago, Kirsten and I uh, in Edmonton listened to a message by one of the associate pastors at the church we were at named Al Richardson. He was a great guy. He was the guy that uh, performed the marriage of Kirsten and I. And I heard a message from him on this. And I don't really remember what he said. I just remember he kept saying, Valley of Bacca, Valley of Baca, Valley of Bacca. And I still didn't know what Valley of Bacca meant. (laughs) Other than that it meant it was a hard place and you went from strength to strength. And so Carissa and I, when we were reflecting and I talked to her through this sermon, she said, you remember when Al preached that sermon on Valley of Bacca? I don't remember what else he said, but I just remember he said that word a lot. Bacca, Bacca, Bacca. But in 84.5, it starts with, Blessed are those whose strength is in you. Blessed are those whose strength is in God. Now notice what it doesn't say. It doesn't say blessed are those who are independent. Blessed are those who are strong on their own. Blessed are those who have no problems. Blessed are those whose life is amazing. No. What it says is blessed are those whose strength is in God. That means that they are not strong on their own. Our strength comes from God. Our strength comes from the relationship with God. And this, the Bible has this, this amazing counterintuitive thing that when we are weak, God is strong. So when we submit and understand that I'm not strong enough, that's when God says, He is strong in us. So it's this reliance on God. We were never created to be independent creatures. But the, the source of original sin essentially was humanity saying no to god now anyone who has a small grandchild or has a small child one of the first words that a child learns is two letters N O and if you want to say that children uh, don't experience original sin just wait till you have a toddler <laughs> do you want this no do you not want this no and a human beings, since the fall, have said no to God. We were created to say yes to God. Yes, I want to be with you, God. Yes, I want to follow you. Yes, I want what you want. But sin made it so we wanted to say no. We wanted our own way. We wanted to be independent. And so, but our independence actually goes to comical levels sometimes. We think, well, I can do this on my own, even though I've tried it a hundred times. This next time, I'll be able to do it on my own. Anyone who's ever tried to get away from a sin that's persistent in their life, from a situation that's too hard to handle, will trick ourselves into saying, I don't need help. I can do it on my own this time. This time I'll try harder. This time I'll be better. But where strength actually comes is the beginning point is surrender to God. That's where our strength comes from. So when when you are weak, his strength is made perfect in you. But God doesn't force himself on us. God allows us to to say no to him. He doesn't make us say yes. But he's ever-present when we need him. He waits for us to call on him. And he's there with us the whole time. It's like a friend who if you're experiencing something hard in your life and you say, all I need is space, they'll honor that. They'll say, okay, you need space. They'll check in with you every once in a while and say, are you okay? Do you need help? Do you want help? But he won't for, they won't force himself. That's what God is like. You know that he'll always be there when you call. But sometimes we push him away. Hey, I love how this, uh, this verse translates in the New Living uh, Translation. It says, what joy for those whose strength comes from God, whose strength comes from the Lord, who have their minds set on a pilgrimage to Jerusalem. What joy they have. Who have their minds set on God. Colossians uh, 3.2 says it this way. Set your minds on things above. Not on earthly things. There's this truth that if we, if we focus on our problems. If we focus on the hard things. Then they seem insurmountable. But if we set our minds on God. If we set our minds when we're in the valley, when we're in the dark place, and understand that there's light at the end of the tunnel, then we have great hope. We have strength that comes out of this. Philippians 4, 8 says it this way. Whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. What you think about matters. So if we're going through hardship and you just dwell on that problem, you dwell on that pain, you think there's nothing that in my life is worth living, but this, this pain is insurmountable, then it will be. But if instead we think, you know this pain, this hardship, this sorrow I'm experiencing, yes, it hurts, yes, it's hard. But if you choose to focus on God and you choose to focus on the hope that he can bring, then it's temporary. So what you think about matters. We just spent a whole series looking at the power of our words. And we looked at how our words come out of a place of our heart. And our hearts are formed by our minds. What we spend time thinking about, dwelling about. If we focus on evil, sinful things, then our hearts will be full of evil and sin. But if instead we dwell on God, then we will uh, become more like him. So what are you currently going through? Is your life on the mountaintop? It's all joy. It's all happiness. There's nothing going wrong in your life. Or perhaps you're going through a valley. Maybe there's pain. Maybe there's sorrow. Maybe there's financial loss. Maybe there's emotional pain or stress, family pain. Whatever you're going through, whether you're on the mountaintop or the valley, what you need to do is keep your eyes on Jesus when your heart is anxious look to Jesus when your soul is aching look to Jesus when your emotions are racing and out of control look to Jesus when you focus on Jesus he gives you the strength that you need does that sound simple it is simple but it's so hard I don't know if anyone here ever has a hard time when they're going through hardships. You just want to run away. You just want to run away from God. You just want to run away from the situation. But in verse eighty-four six, it says, "As they pass through the valley of Baca, they make it a place of springs. The autumn rains also cover it with pools." Now, for the Bible scholars among us, maybe people know already what the Valley of Baca means but I'll give you a bit of a background since we're not Israelites and we don't instantly know what it means. The Valley of Baca was a pa- place of wilderness. It was a desert. It was a place where there was hardship, there was pain, there was great danger. There's wild animals, there's thorns, there's lions, there's poisonous snakes. And the word Baca actually has different translations. It means things like crying, mourning, weeping, and wailing. Wailing. So Baca means the opposite of happy. So as they pass through the valley of sadness, through the valley of sorrow, through the valley of pain, through the valley of desolation, the valley of the wastelands, it's not a place of joy. It's not a place of celebration. It's a dark place. But the valley is just part of the journey. It's not the destination. None of us are going to the valley of Baca. We are going through the valley we are journeying through the valley and so whatever you are going through it's just temporary even if it takes your whole earthly life and that seems like it's forever long some of us it's longer than others none of us know the day or the hour but even that is temporary we are actually made to be eternal creatures we are made for eternity And so no matter what we go through in this life, we have this great promise for those who put their faith, hope, and trust in Jesus that there will be no more sorrow, no more pain, no more tears. So the valley of Baca, even if it is in our our entire lives long, is temporary. God is bringing us through that valley. But the way out of the valley isn't to, to jump out of the middle. It's not to climb out the side. It's not to ask God to take us out. The way is through the valley. We have to actually go through and come out the other side. And for the Hebrews, on the other side of the Valley of Baca was Jerusalem. It was Zion. It was the holy city. It was the the place where the Holy of Holies dwelt. It was the place of victory. It was the place where God was with them. And for each of us here this morning, whatever your valley looks like that you go through, whether you're in it now or you have been or you're going to, It's one of the three. Then there's something on the other side. There's the blessing of victory. There's the mountaintop of salvation. But the way is through that pain. We often, when we experience pain, we have that fight or flight reaction. Sometimes we want to fight against that pain. We want to hurt whatever's hurting us. Or we want to run away. But the way isn't to fight or to flight. It's actually to go through it. You know, God uh, cares about us so much. And yet when we're experiencing hardships, we question that. We think, if God really cared, would he really allow me to go through this situation? Would he really, if he actually understood how much pain I'm in, he would take this away. And we often cry that. Please, God, take this away. Even Jesus, when he was faced with the pain of the crucifixion, he said, God, if there's any way, let this cup pass. I don't, I don't want this path but he finishes with not my will be done your will be done and so when we're going through pain when we're going through hardships we can say God I I want something different but in the end we surrender and say "Not my will your will be done and the truth is that God cares about us so much that he allows those hardships to come because all of us when we go through hardships and we lean on God for strength, he makes us more and more like him. The painful times are the times when he shapes our character. When he shapes our faith. When we're in the valley, when he creates this intimacy in us. This faith that grows so much deeper. For anyone that has a blessing of a relationship that has had a hard time, that has had a struggle, if you come out the other side, still united, whether it's a friend or a spouse or a family member you're stronger because of that trial and nobody would ask for it over again but often when we're on the other side we will say you know God thank you for that because I see how I've grown I see how our relationship is stronger and I wouldn't have asked for that but I don't ask for it to be taken away either because even though we didn't enjoy the pain even though we didn't enjoy the hardships we recognize that it made us stronger it made us better and so when we're, going, when we're going in the mountaintops and we're enjoying life, when everything seems to be going well, it's often easy to ignore God and think, well, you know, He's there, but I don't really need to focus on Him. And there's a, there's a saying that uh, when, uh, that God whispers through pleasure. When, when things are going well, He whispers to us. He's there, but we, we can barely hear Him. But through our pain, he shouts at us. It's through our pain when sometimes we can hear the voice of God the clearest. When he corrects us. When he helps us. When he guides us. And so whatever you're going through, or are going to go through, or have gone through, God allowed that to happen because he cares for you. And he cared so much that he gave us Jesus to be with us. So in verse 6 again, as they pass through the valley of Baca, they make it a place springs and the autumn rains also cover it with pools so the valley was a desert place it was a place that didn't have water it was a place that was dry that had dry faith that felt like God was distant but when you're in a desert and you have a relationship with God you actually bring the oasis with you that no matter what you're going through the presence of God is right there to be tapped into And so, those who who bring God with them into the desert actually make it a place of springs. So, it doesn't change the circumstances, but we can draw on the strength of God. So, in the times of hardship, when we feel like we don't have the strength to go on, God gives us that strength for the next day. And so, during the times of the valley, we have great sorrow, great pain, and we may not feel overwhelming happiness. We may be cast down, weighed down. We may be anxious. We may be worried. But in those places, we're able to remain faithful because God is with us. If we stick close to Jesus and allow us, allow him to carry us through, if we stick to his promises, you know that the Bible has over 3,000 promises from God. 3,000, over 3,000 promises of God. And I counted at least 40 times where God promises that he will be with us. He says, I will be with you. Over 40 times in the Bible. Now, I don't know about you, but if something's repeated, it usually means it's important. So there's, uh, in the Old Testament, in Isaiah, it says, holy, holy, holy. In uh, Hebrew thought, if a word is repeated, it actually amplifies it. So if you say it three times in a row, it's way more than just saying it three separate times. And God promises 40 times he will be with us. I think that's important. I think that's something that we needed to be reminded of. That he is with us. And three other promises say that if you draw near to him, he will draw near to you. If you seek him, you will find him. If you make room for him, he will reveal himself to you. Now, God doesn't usually reveal himself to us when we're in a rush, when we're just filled with the busyness of life. Now, if I took a survey this morning, who feels busy this morning? Who feels busy in their life? Whose life feels like it has so many things going on? I'm sure most of us here this morning would be, say, yes, I'm busy. And a lot of uh, people in Western culture actually hold that as a badge, badge of honor. It's like, I'm busy. That means I'm important. But God actually doesn't usually show up when we're in a rush. God shows up in the times of quiet, in the time of solitude. And all of the great men and women of faith in the Bible, usually when they have seen God work the most, is in the times of stillness, in the times of silence. Moses uh, is a great character who had a bit of an anger issue. And he kills somebody and then runs away. And for 40 years, he's in the wilderness. And after that 40 years is when God shows up in a burning bush. Moses is alone. It's quiet. There's nothing but the sheep bowing away and God shows up in that stillness and he speaks so clearly for him to hear. So if you're looking for, for God to speak to you, if you're looking to see God, are you there? Then have, a, have some stillness in your life. Set some time aside. Whether you're a morning person to get up early, have a cup of coffee and your Bible sitting there. That's my favorite thing to do or if you're a nature person go up on the mountaintop, bundle up it's kind of cold these days but get out there and just enjoy intimacy with God because I promise you if you look for God to speak to you he will and the number one way he speaks is through his word so if you say well God's not speaking to me are you reading your word are you reading the Bible because God speaks so powerfully through it and here's a verse that has challenged me a lot Uh, over the last few years, but be still and know I am God. Well, stillness is hard sometimes. There's so much things to do. There's so many things I could be doing. There's so many things you could be doing. But you have to actually prepare yourself to be intimate with God through times of stillness. And I know during this busy Christmas season that this is a difficult thing. There's so many presents to buy. There's so many gifts to wrap. There's so much Cards to send. There's lots of events to go to. But this is a great season to set aside some time, and to read the story of God's goodness, and that He is with us. So people are troubled when we experience valleys in our life, and it's a typical human reaction to think that God maybe is punishing us, maybe He's harming us, or we question His goodness. But it's in those times that maybe God wants to draw near to you he wants you to draw near to him and you know we question god's goodness in those times and he has many promises but you know a promise that isn't in the bible he never promised you won't go through hardships he never promised you won't go through valleys he actually promised you would he said when you go through hardships when you are persecuted for your faith when you experience pain i will be with you God is with us. So how are things in your life going? Is everything rosy? Is everything great? Or are you experiencing a valley? In this uh, beautiful psalm of David, another one, in Psalm 139, he summarizes God's faithfulness to us. He says, where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. God is your light in the darkness. God is your peace in the storm. God is your joy in the trouble. And he's your strength when you're weak. What is God speaking to you this morning? I don't say if God is speaking to you because I'm a man of faith. I know God is speaking to each one of us this morning. Sometimes we don't hear him. Sometimes we ignore him. But whatever you're going through this morning, God is there with you. God's promise that he is with us is wonderful and amazing. Now whether or not you've had a personal encounter with Jesus yet, there's an opportunity and I say it's an opportunity because it's a blessing and a great chance to get to know him. God's promise that if you seek him, you will find him. If you look for him, he will show himself to you. So whether you're a believer or not yet this morning, I would say take time this week to set aside to intentionally seek God, and he will be with you. So we enjoy God on the mountaintops, but we get to know him in the valleys. Now this morning, we are uh, ushering in the Advent season with a celebration of communion. Communion is a time that we set aside intentionally once a month on the first Sunday in order to uh, help us get right with God. Confession is a powerful tool that Jesus has given us. He says, confess your sins to one another. And then uh, our relationship with God can be pure and holy. And so the Advent season, this is a great way to start it off right, to be right with the Lord. Now, the the hope of the gospel starts with uh, the sentence of guilt in our lives. It starts by saying, "We disobeyed Jesus. We disobeyed God." Our ancestors, Adam and Eve, disobeyed God the first time, and we've continued that family tradition ever since. We've continued to say no to God in areas of our life. We've continued to say, God, my will be done, not yours. But that's not what he calls us to. He calls us to say, Lord, your will be done, not mine. And so this morning, uh, we remember that Jesus not only came as the perfect baby, not only came as the beautiful lamb of God. But he lived the perfect sinless life so that we could have a restored relationship with him. The payment for sin is death. That's what we all deserve. But Jesus took that payment for us. He paid that with his life so that we could have a restored relationship with him. So whether this is your first time celebrating communion or your thousandth time celebrating communion, may we this morning reflect on what God has done for us. May we take time to set aside to prayerfully consider and to confess our sins to God and to one another and so that we can have a restored and holy relationship with him through the work of Jesus. So how are things between you and your maker this morning? Is there a barrier between you and him? If so, lay that barrier at his feet. Are you experiencing joy? Then thank him for that joy and that happiness and that goodness. Or are you maybe experiencing pain? Are you experiencing hardship? Then lay that hardship at his feet and say, God, help me. I need your help. When we ask for God's presence to be felt, it's there. So communion is for those who have put their faith in Christ as Lord of their lives. So whether uh, you've been with our church for many years or you're just checking us out, if you would say that I'm a believer in Jesus then communion is for you but if not then I would ask that you would take this time to prayerfully reflect on who God is and the joy that can be found in him alone so would you please join me in prayer as the ushers and the worship team come forward to help guide us in reflection and response to what the Holy Spirit is doing among us this morning Jesus I thank you for who you are I thank you for your goodness for your mercy, and for your love in us this morning. And I thank you that you are with us through all things in life. That when we are weak, you are strong. That when we experience pain, you know that pain because you've experienced even deeper pain. And you don't just give us pat answers, but you say, I'm with you. I'm helping you through this. Lean on me. You don't need to be strong. I'm strong. Lord, I pray that you would forgive us when we're independent, when we think we can just go our own way, when we think we can be strong enough on our own. Help us to surrender everything to you. Help our whole hearts to be a yes to you. And help us to walk holy lives, not through our strength, but through your strength, Jesus. Forgive us when we fall short. Jesus, you are the high priest and you are interceding on our behalf. You are saying, forgive them, Father, they don't know what they do. You said that even to those who were killing you. And Lord, our sins uh, are what held you on that cross. But your love is what made you walk there. Your great love for us, your creation. And so I thank you, Jesus, for what you have done and what you are going to do. And so I pray that this communion time wouldn't just be a time of sad reflection, of serious reflection, but it would be a time of joy of thankfulness, of gratefulness for what you have done, Jesus. Lord, this is a happy time of the year because we get to celebrate your presence and that you are with us. We may be in the valleys, but we know that you are with us. May we all know that promise to be true, that you are with us no matter what we are going through. So I thank you, Jesus, for what you have done, what you are doing, and what you are going to do. In your name we pray, amen.